Well, hi everyone. Uh, we're going to start a new sermon series today, and and that sermon series really is looking at what does it mean to be God's people in uh, in the city. What does it mean to be God's people in Bristol, or what actually does it mean to be God's people wherever He has placed you? Of course, this is where we find ourselves, and so it's appropriate for us to think about Bristol and, and the wider conurbation uh, that is uh, Bristol. What does it mean to be a believer here? And what does the Bible say about it? Is it interested in cities and groups of people outside of the church? And of course it is. And in order to help us to explore what this means, we're going to be looking at a, at a, a fairly familiar passage for some uh, in Jeremiah 29. Now, when I mention Jeremiah 29, our minds, many of us, will automatically go to Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, which says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we often will pray that beautiful verse over one another and we have it underlined in our Bibles and we have it on our kitchen cabinets and our mirrors and everywhere we can, uh, we can because it's part of God's blessing. Well, brothers and sisters, this is the context for that blessing. Now, I really don't want to rob anyone of the depth and breadth of meaning of those verses, but I do want to say there's a context for them, and that's what we're going to look at today. I think uh, what we'll find as we go through this passage a bit more thoroughly is to, is to see that the, the depth and breadth and uh, implications of God blessing his people like that, and blessing you like that, is wider and deeper than just your own personal well-being. And, and I hope we see that in this passage. So let's read Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of this city to which I have carried you into. Pray to the Lord of it, to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So we can meaningfully ask, what is going on here? But before we answer those questions, let's uh, ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for these uh, words. We thank you for the, the blessing that follows these words. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to understand more of what they mean. Help it to change who we are together as a community, Lord. These are words to your gathered people through the ages. And I pray, Father, as we consider them, Lord, we ask that it would be a, a transforming moment for us individually, corporately, as a church, Lord Jesus, that the city would be blessed like your intention was for this city, that our city too would be blessed, would experience your peace and love and grace because of the blessing that you put onto us. Amen. So what is happening here in this story? Well, Israel has been divided, conquered and carried into exile. And then uh, what happens now actually is Israel's conquerors are being conquered. Sounds like a game of conquest, doesn't it? But actually what is happening is the Babylonians who uh, overthrew the Assyrians and, uh, and then they were exiled into Babylon. 
now if you uh, want to sort of get your head around where are we in the story, this is where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are carried into exile. It's the same time frame. So, so if you think Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, carried away serving a foreign king in a foreign land and a foreign city, uh, same with Daniel, that's where the story is uh, in the overall uh, kind of stretch of uh, and timeline of scripture. Many in Israel had drifted, had drifted far from God, we know, uh, but there were some who were still faithful. And Jeremiah was one of those who was still faithful. Jeremiah is a prophet. In other words, he spoke from God to the people. And from the passage, we, we recognize just the, the slightly odd ending to those verses was this. that There were other prophets, or you might say false prophets. Uh, they were prophets that were being encouraged by the people to tell them what they want, what the people wanted to hear. And what they wanted to hear was the exile won't last very long. They'd been carried away from Jerusalem, the place where the temple was, the presence of God, the land they'd been given. Just all the precious promises of God were caught up in that physical place. And now they're carried off into exile to a foreign city with foreign gods, strange foods, odd customs, all sorts of sin and sinfulness on public display, all kinds of things that would have been abhorrent to them, unclean to them. And there they are carried off into exile. And they wanted to hear, it won't, we, we won't be here for long. And so some of the prophets, <laughs> the false prophets that Jeremiah is warning the people about were saying, two or three years maximum, we won't be here for long, we'll be back to Jerusalem before you know it. And Jeremiah says, that's not God. God is not saying that. They are false prophets. Don't listen to them. It's going to be a long time that we are here. And he turned out, of course, because we know the ends of the story, it, he was right. It was 70 years. 70 years. It's, I, you know, think of 70 years on from now. Think of children born today or in the, in the last few weeks. They're going to be uh, considerable of a considerable age by the time anything changes and people like me and others will be long gone. <laughs> it's a long time. It's a long time. It's a whole lifetime, at least, um, that they're going to be in exile. And so because of that, the instructions to them are not, hang on, you'll soon be released from exile. They are different. And Jeremiah's plea to those who are going to face a long stay in a foreign country is this. This is what God says to them. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. And even for some Christians, this is a strange passage. Hang on. What, what are you saying? Go get stuck into the culture. That seems like an odd thing. Uh, but that is what Jeremiah is essentially saying. And Christians through the ages have sort of fallen into two camps with regards to this engagement with the culture in which they find themselves. We're all, in one sense, exiles. We all find ourselves in places that are not uh, thoroughly and completely God's kingdom. This is not the final picture. This is not, uh, this, this is not the new heavens and new earth where we are headed. Uh, this is an interim moment. So how do we conduct ourselves in the place we find ourselves at the time that God has given us. And the two kind of polar, I suppose, to, to help us understand, the polar positions that Christians take when they think about this is, is firstly, is to withdraw from the world entirely, to become isolated and distant. 
uh, often motivated by fear that if I engage too much with the world, then I will become tainted by sin. And we'd quote verses like from Proverbs that says, bad company corrupts good character, uh, all the kind of things uh, that we might well be familiar with. And many churches and movements uh, of Christians have over the years adopted this position broadly. So it's basically withdraw. Let's become kind of a, a, a discreet community. And we, we won't, let's, okay, the, the, the bad people are all out there and, uh, and we're the good people and just don't, don't get involved, uh, don't engage too much and Jesus will come and rescue us. Let's hunker down, get ourselves into a bunker. Uh, sometimes you find that groups of churches that adopt this, they literally build a church building without any windows. And I think that's a theological position. Don't, you know, we don't want to look out. We're just concerned with what's in here. Um, and often the churches that take that position, maybe not initially, but over time, they uh, become very introverted. They sometimes adopt their own sort of, like, sort of subcultural languages. I know we all do that a bit, but even more so to the point where they become irrelevant and often uh, that introversion leads to a, a shrinking. Uh, and wasting away and that can be the case for some so that's the first position the second position is really the opposite and that is to just assimilate to the culture so the christian uh, looks and sounds and behaves exactly like the culture around it dictates and so that so the believer doesn't really look any different sound any different behave any different maybe there are some deep-seated beliefs that are different but none of that is on display. Really, everything that the culture believes and does, all the things it says are good, all the ways it thinks are, are, are good to behave, the Christian looks exactly the same. And that's the other sort of, the, these two polar positions are what happens in the church. The second position, obviously, there's little regard of, often for holiness or the real impact of, of, of the life-changing nature of the gospel. All of that is kind of forgotten and we become a bit more like a, a, a club um, that, that happens to sing some songs about Jesus than a, a kingdom within a, a city. Anyway, Paul deals with some of these things, and, uh, and so does Jesus, actually. And, and in 1 Corinthians 5, we read this, where Paul actually is addressing that first position directly. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11, we read this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexu sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. <laughs> so Paul is saying, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't mean just withdraw uh, from the world. I didn't, I didn't mean, you know, just, you know, kind of put yourselves in a bunker. That's not what I meant. But I'm writing to you that you mustn't associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister what is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slanderer or drunkard or swindler, don't even eat with such people. He's saying, look, we're supposed to be engaged with this culture, with friends, family, those around us who don't share our beliefs, but we're not supposed to just share those same values. We're supposed to be the people of the kingdom, we're supposed to be holy, supposed to be separate in that sense, not separate physically. And because obviously, how are you, how are you going to share the good news of Jesus with people if you never engage meet with them or be friends with them so paul addresses that when jesus actually does a similar thing in john's gospel in john 17 there's a this beautiful lengthy prayer that jesus uh, prays to the father for all believers everywhere and he, he says this in verse 15 of john 17 my prayer is not that you take them out of the world 
but you protect them from the evil one. So I don't want them removed. That's not my prayer. But when they are embodied in the place I've put them, I want you to protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. For I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So again, in Jesus' prayer, what he's asking is that believers would be put into, a bit like these Israelites have been put into Babylon, would be put into the context for us, the city of Bristol, the streets and the schools and the businesses and the social gatherings and the pubs and the clubs. That's where I've sent you. Now go be the kingdom of God in those places. Don't withdraw from them. And I guess a phrase which would help us to understand the, 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 the position of, of, uh, of Jeremiah, the position of Paul and Jesus when he's praying, when they're all praying and asking and writing around this is, is this. It would be, be in the world, but not of the world. <laughs> uh, that would be a, a, just a, maybe a way just to summarise it for us. So it's a position between those two extremes. Don't withdraw. Don't, become, don't, don't, don't sort of hunker down and pretend the world doesn't exist. And don't assimilate so there's no, no difference between you and those uh, all around you. Be in it, but don't be of it. So be in the world, but of the kingdom. <laughs> be children of the light. Be salt and light in the context that you find yourselves. Jesus, of course, we know was, was called a friend of sinners. Christians often, uh, in some contexts anyway, are, 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 would be perceived to be all afraid of sinners. And this, of course, is what Jeremiah was advocating, partly as God's plan for the Israelites in this extended period of exile in Babylon. Okay, so that's the first idea. The second idea is this. <laughs> uh, and we need to grasp this to understand what Jeremiah and, and, uh, and, by extension, God is saying to us. Jeremiah says this, Rather than hoping you'll be whisked away quickly, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, seek the welfare of the city. And to those who had been dragged away from the presence of God in Jerusalem, the land they had been given, this, this, the promised land, they've been taken away from it. This is, this is a, a shocking thing to hear. And probably why they didn't like Jeremiah very much. They didn't want to hear this. What? What do you mean seek the, seek the welfare of this foreign heathen city with their foreign gods and their strange ways? Really? I'm supposed to bless this place? And that's exactly what Jeremiah is saying. That's exactly what God is saying to them. And the concept really here is that of, of shalom. And we kind of know that word probably, some of us more than others. And we sort of translate it, um, or the best we can do in English is, is we use the word peace. Um, shalom as a word, obviously it's a Hebrew word, it's a bit like the Greek words uh, for love. So we have the word love, and you think about that word, and you think, wow, crumbs, if you, if you tell somebody you love them, that's, you know, that's, phew, that's a big deal. And some people take a long time to come to the conclusion it's time to talk about love with, with somebody else. But of course in Greek there are, there, are, uh, there are six words for love, there's four that are common, and a couple of others that are a bit less common. And so it would have been very frequent in the language to say, oh, I love you. But you would have, wouldn't have just used the one word, you used the specific term, or for brotherly love, or for family love, or all, all, all other, the, other, the other ones as well. Um, 
And shalom is a little bit like that. It's a little bit like that. It, it's a much richer and broader word than just peace, but we don't have words for it. So we need to be careful that we don't use it carelessly. Um, uh, actually, Tim Keller says this about this word, uh, because it doesn't just mean, and we, sometimes I suppose we might think, oh, well, peace is simply the absence of war. And so we are at peace or we're at war. And that's a, a very narrow view of the word peace. And so Keller says this in his excellent book, Generous Justice. Shalom is usually translated peace in English Bibles, but it means far more than our English word conveys. It means and listen carefully to this, complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect and filled with joy. Let me just read that to you again. Um, a, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect and filled with joy. Jeremiah, God through him, says to the Israelites and to us, seek that for the place I've put you. Go seek that. Seek the welfare, the blessing, the peace of this city. That's what I'm calling you to do. Go be that kind of a blessing. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. That's a, well, it's, a, it's good because we know what we're supposed to do. Israelites knew what they were supposed to do if they listened to Jeremiah. Um, but it's, it's a, wow, that's a big deal. That's a lot of blessing. That's very broad and deep and wide, isn't it? Well, how does it apply to us? How do we seek the peace and prosperity of a city? Well, we seek the peace, the welfare of a city in the ways that we've just seen, that the physical, the emotion, the social, the emotional, the social and the spiritual. So let's look at those, those four Physical. <laughs> How would we seek shalom, this deep and broad concept of peace, physically for this city or for the place that you find yourself? Now, it, it could be around public services and the challenge, my goodness, the challenge upon our public services are unique. But maybe, maybe there are ways, creative, God-given ways to engage. And I know many of you are engaged. So many of you are involved in the health service, giving yourselves giving your time, making sacrifices. And goodness, you've done that through the pandemic in incredible ways. We want to thank you for that. Absolutely. But God is saying that's part of how I'm blessing this city too. I'm using you to bring blessing to the physical infrastructure of this city. It might be that. It could be uh, around the, the, the actual uh, physical infrastructure, the, the, the place, the, literally the place you live. Now, just as a and aside, I remember my, my parents took this pretty seriously when we were very young. We grew up in just in a sprawling housing estate in Reading. Just a, a, in one sense, it was fairly anonymous, just a huge, huge housing estate, fairly newly built. And they said, no, what we're going to do is we're going to keep our little patch around where we live. We're just going to literally keep it tidy. And so for half an hour on a Saturday morning, we'd go out with plastic bags and we just clean up. Not a huge space, but enough to say, we want to bring... What they were saying, we were very young, but what they were saying is, we want to bring something of God's peaceful order to this little tiny bit here. We can't affect the whole thing, maybe, but we can do something here. And so it was clean and tidy where we lived. <laughs> and lots of people would ask us about it, and it made opportunities to share the gospel. Um, and it says, 
pray for the peace so that the gospel can be preached. Uh, and so when, you, when we start to bring peace physically, there are opportunities for the gospel to be preached. There was in that little illustration I gave you there. Peaceful and pleasant. <laughs> physically, bring that shalom, that peaceful and pleasant experience. Uh, right at the beginning in that sort of creation story, the instruction was to Adam and Eve and those who would come after was to say, bring order out of the chaos. Bring peace and order into the chaos of this uh, of this world and God gave them the example of Eden this beautiful garden so go take Eden and spread it across the whole world that's your work that's your job um, of course it, they, they never really got to that but that's also our instruction is to bring order out of the chaos and even in small ways we can do that and I, I'd, I would encourage us to think about that maybe as a connect group think about how could I do just a small thing how could we do just a small thing to bring a sense of order, to bring a sense of beauty and peace to wherever it is you find yourself. Secondly, emotional peace. <laughs> Seeking peace between ourselves. Um, again, a very broad subject we could spend a long time talking about. But let's just think really about this idea of forgiveness. And sometimes Christians struggle to forgive each other. Just on that sort of daily basis of, or you've... You know, you, you left me out there. I'm, you know, I'm not going to engage with you anymore because you know we just we get a bit grumpy, a bit grumbly. Uh, we get a bit distant from people sometimes because we don't engage in terms of forgiveness. Um, but what we should see here is that actually we're seeking actively to bring the kingdom of God's, which is marked by forgiveness, to light. And to be that community of forgiveness within the city that is just a shining light of a different way of interacting socially with each other. is to say, well, that's how we're going to be. And you can do that individually, uh, but with, with friendship and actually engaging on that level. But you can also do that within the community. Be, be part of a council, be part of a, the school governors, the neighbourhood watch. And bring something of God's goodness and peace into that area, that emotional shalom. Engage is what Jeremiah is saying and what God is asking for us to do as well. Thirdly, uh, social, looking to bless socially. How do we do that? Well, we have all kinds of ways the church is already doing. We have Jess's wonderful work in Encounter. We have what Simon is doing across the board in terms of seeking to house uh, some of our homeless friends and, and others too. But there's also things like asylum seekers, people new to the city, people whose first language isn't English. <laughs> Bring peace to those areas. Those people are fraught with anxiety often, uh, full of fear because it's unknown and frightening. Now, it's not that way for many of us because we're familiar, at least more familiar, with our surroundings and the language and the culture. How could we bring peace and prosperity to that part of the city, to take the responsibility to do it, which is what Jeremiah is asking and then finally and fourthly here, uh, spiritual. The deep uh, and lasting and all-encompassing peace can only be found actually through Jesus. And so we are called to hold out the word of life. And maybe the first three of those points there, the physical, the emotional and the social, are contexts into which the gospel finds a happy home. <laughs> it's easy to talk to, to people about Jesus when you are talking to them about all sorts of other things. It's just... It's just practically true. 
And so we're called to hold out the word of life, to expect the transforming work of Jesus is active and powerful today, and that I am part of this kingdom which is bringing peace and prosperity to this city. Now to seek shalom, to seek that very broad understanding of what peace means, I think it's very beautiful actually, is to take seriously the absence of peace. To, a bit like Jesus did, <laughs> Jesus looked at this sin-sick world and he, our prince of shalom, our prince of peace, took it so seriously that he gave himself absolutely, body and soul. He moved into the neighbourhood. He got stuck in with the locals. He, 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 he engaged with those who, uh, uh, you know, his, his natural habitat was the holiness of heaven. And he came and he hung out with sinners. He came and made friends with them. That's what he did. And he was known as a friend of sinners. The Prince of Peace was a friend of sinners. That's to be the church, brothers and sisters. That's to be the church, bringing the peace of God. Not so afraid that the salvation that you have is so fragile that it might be affected. If I, you know, it might, oh crumbs, I, I need to look after it. No, but to be bold with the salvation that you have been given, to believe that it is powerful. That you are, in that sense, a conduit of, of, the, of the peace of God. The grace of God is flowing through you. Because it's coming out of the presence of God himself, from Jesus himself. Seek the shalom of Bristol. is to say that Bristol's problems are my problems. And its challenges are my challenges. So that when we find exploitation or racial inequality or social inequality, where we, we see greed, exploitation of the natural world, where we see poverty on a large scale or the shortage of housing, which is connected to the homelessness issue, where we see mental health issues rife around the city, we see challenges to our education system or the infrastructure of the city, is to say, those problems, I'm going to make them my problems too. And not with, a, not with a heavy heart, but with a joyful, buoyant heart, believing that actually the solution is God's peaceful kingdom. The Prince of Peace himself working through you. What did Jesus say? The kingdom of God is within you. He says, you've got all this. I've given you all this. Now go give it away. Go freely give it away. Even as I've freely given to you. Seek the shalom of Bristol, says God to us with all that we are and all we have and as the city is blessed so you too will be blessed and it's into this context to which that blessing that we're so familiar with is spoken it's what Daniel and his three friends actually were busy doing they were doing the hard yards of working for an oppressive regime open to being grossly misunderstood to be honest by their fellow Israelites they, they're working for the foreign king Imagine what their friends thought of that. And yet they honoured God before kings and princes, living boldly and uncompromising lives, bringing the good news of God who seeks to bless even his enemies. Now, you might say, what has it got to do with me? Well, the fact that you are still here or the fact that you are here at all in this city is proof of what? It's proof that God wants his city blessed because he has given you his son. He's given you the very best of all the cosmos and said, I'm trusting you with my name, with an inheritance 
that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's kept for you. I'm filling you with the power that rose Jesus from the dead. I'm giving you all of this. And what I'm asking you to do with it is what? Bless those around you. Bless them. Seek their, bring this shalom of heaven, this, this Eden, and let it break out around you. Is it a challenge? You bet it's a challenge. Is it impossible? Without the Spirit's help? Yes, absolutely. And without the help of one another? Yes, absolutely. But can it be done? Yes, it can. Yes, of course it can. How do we know that? Jesus broke the power of death itself. All the things that work against shalom, all the things that fight against, that hate it, that, that hate the idea of, uh, of peace in relationships and peace in the infrastructure and peace in the business world and, and peace on the streets. The enemy hates all that. And Jesus broke the teeth in his mouth. He, he is powerless against it. He has been rendered powerless through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, join me, join me in celebrating this victory and in, in, just gather as many in to that victory as you possibly can. Let them come and we come too with our own painful experiences and the sadnesses that we often bring and the sadnesses of the last few years. And we find what? We find blessing and peace even for those deep and sad things as well. And then we come to this verse. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and listen to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you. And what do we realise when we read that? That that blessing is not just about me as an individual. That is a blessing for the city into which God has sent me. That's a blessing that goes way beyond clinging, hopefully clinging to a blessing until God whisks me away to glory. No, it's about a blessing that would break out from God's kingdom into the kingdom of the world and just uh, positively affect it to the point where people say, surely God is among you, which is what we want. And then finally, of course, the instruction is this, pray for the city. Actively, consistently, conscientiously seek God on behalf of Bristol. And there are many contexts for prayer in city church. There's early mornings, there are, uh, uh, there are individual contexts, there's a connect groups. But there's also going to be our Sunday evening prayer meeting starting in a few weeks' time. I want to encourage you. That's, a, that's one of the contexts where we can gather together and seek God for the blessing and the peace of this city. That's what it means to be in a city. That's part of what it means to be in a city. I just want to commend these words to you and ask that God... Would, would shape us and change us in the light of them. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the challenge that you issued your people all those thousands of years ago and the challenge that you issue us too, not to withdraw from a city, not to assimilate to a city, but actually to seek to bring the peace of heaven into the streets of Bristol. And we ask your help to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.